We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. Here I am recording from sunny Las Vegas, Nevada. Took a little bit of a weekend out with the friends, working from here now. And going to check out the World Series of Poker because it's going on here. So some exciting events. Also, the Win, the Win Hotel and Resort has opened up a new studio for Blue Wire, our hosting company. So I'm going to check that out, record a couple of the podcasts that we'll be putting on display this week, the All-22 ones, from the studio. So that should be exciting. All of that's good news. The bad news is the Giants dropped to 1-5. and five. Embarrassing performance. I don't care that they put on a dumb touchdown at the end where we'll talk about it, but I am not on board with playing Daniel Jones at the end of that game. I am not on board with that. don't care that much, but stupid decision where I see little to gain from. But they got some random touchdown at the end, the Eli Penny run. But overall, regardless of what that final score was, they were uncompetitive from the start of the third quarter. When, I, when you're in those games where you're uncompetitive from the start of the, from the, start of the third quarter, it's tough, man. It's tough to it's tough to look at it because they've put a lot into this team right now. I know there were injuries. I know they've had a lot of injuries. A lot of teams in the NFL are dealing with injuries. The Giants are 
believe it or not, not the only team in the NFL that has injuries. Do the Giants maybe have more injuries right now? Maybe. I haven't looked across the league, gone team by team. But I know a lot of teams are dealing with injuries right now. And I also know that the Giants were not a good football team before the injuries. They were a team struggling against the Teddy Bridgewaters of the world. They were a team struggling against the Taylor Heineke's of the world and the Matt Ryan Falcons of the world. So we need to talk about a lot of things on this podcast and in general. How did they get here and how did they fix this and how do we get out of this? Because we can't just keep turning back the clock and saying, let's run this back again. We've tried a lot. I mean, the Giants have spent a boatload of free agency money at this point. So, Nick, let's start, I guess, with just the game because there's a lot to talk about with the game. Obviously, injuries aside, what did you? how did this game make you feel about Daniel Jones? Because right now, that's the number one topic for me. We can talk about what happened on defense. We can talk about the rest of the offense and minus the injuries. But Daniel Jones, did this game lose, lose yet in any way with Jones? It was a disappointing outing for Daniel Jones. Four turnovers is never something you want to see. It kind of reminds you of the 2019 Daniel Jones in the sense of just a little bit of carelessness with the football. And I realize some of those turnovers were in a time of desperation. The first interception, Taylor Rapp just did an excellent job, even though Taylor Rapp could have came away with another interception before this one. But Taylor Rapp did an excellent job not going out and taking the under route on the levels concept. He kind of dropped to a depth to rob that that second route from the, from the um, I think it was a three-by-one side, but I could be mistaken there. But he just read Daniel Jones' eyes in zone coverage and just undercut it. The second interception was a deep dig route where Sterling Shepard fell. I'm not really going to put that on Daniel Jones too much because Sterling Shepard had leverage on Robert Rochelle. He just slipped and fell. The turf monster ended up getting him. And then the third interception was inexcusable. I understand the game was out of reach by that point. Boundary side, the curl flat defender is, is sinking to the flat there. On the boundary side, not a lot of space. And Daniel Jones, once he gets the ball, just eyes Dante Pettis. And he just locks onto that number one receiver and tries to force an ill-advised throw there. And Rapp ends up undercutting it. It wasn't great, to be honest. And I acknowledge that Daniel Jones doesn't have a lot of his weapons. I see that his offensive line is not great. I think it was more than evident on the first offensive play of the game when Daniel Jones hits a play action, tries to hit a play action pass, and just gets blindsided by about three different defenders. The offensive line is a mess. But at the end of the day, this was a regressed game from Daniel Jones. 29 to 51 for 242 yards and three picks along with a fumble. Can't say that I have a strong vote of confidence on him, but I'm not writing him off either. I think that's fair. I think that ultimately for me, when I first kind of tried to digest the game after it was over, I was like, this is going to mean very little to me with Jones in my evaluation because of the circumstances. And because, listen, we haven't seen these types of plays in a long time. These were the the backbreaker-type interceptions. The, the, the Like you said, the third one, inexcusable. That's the type of stuff you don't – you know, you're never going to see from a franchise quarterback. No no, no. Patrick Mahomes is making those kinds of throws, but you just don't see that, that underneath defender, and he just rips it for the, for the interception. And, you know, his first interception was very similar – but we haven't seen that too much in the last, I don't know, eight to 10 games. That was like a big emphasis, a point of emphasis for the progress he's made. And like I've said, Nick, before, and I'll say again, after those first four games when everybody was like, yes, we did it. We found our franchise quarterback. Look how amazing it is. PFF has him graded out as the second best quarterback. Dave Gettleman did it. We found him. He's great. We got that. As I said, I want a larger sample size. I continue to want that. This is not a this is not a game that has me now like, oh, we're done with Jones. I need something new. I'm completely done with him. They have to get something new. It's just another game in the sample size. It's gonna be enough. I want more and more games. Now, the problem is 
Are we going to get those games with Andrew Thomas? Are we going to get those games with Kadarius Toney, with, with Kenny Galladay? Because on that first drive, Jones looked pretty good. That third and 14 he hit Tony on was a really great play by Jones. Like It's a tough throw, really good ball placement with pressure. And at the same time, the next throw he made to Tony, obviously not the most amazing throw, but it's a, it's a pretty solid throw to get into that spot. And then Tony obviously did the rest with it um, before, you know, creating extra space, yards after the catch, and then he got hurt. But Jones looked a lot better on that first drive, and he obviously looked a whole lot better before they had to turn to Matt Parrott and Solder. And that's a big thing right now for Jones. It feels like to me, Nick, with Daniel Jones, it's like a light switch almost goes off in his head when he doesn't have Andrew Thomas or he doesn't, and we don't even have to use Andrew Thomas. Let's just say when he doesn't have a good feeling about his pass protection on any given snap, it's like a light switch goes off. He rushes everything through his process and he becomes a completely different quarterback than he is when the, when the pass protection is clicking. And as he, you know, in his career, it's never even clicked to some crazy degree. He's never really had unbelievable pass protection. He had a pretty solid stretch of pass pro against the saints a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't even like amazing stuff with the, with the exception of Thomas who was stonewalling people, but like it was good. Well, schemes up stuff and he had good protection. And it feels to me at this point, Nick, like, he something just clicks. And when he doesn't have that feeling of protection, he's just rushed. He's not the same quarterback. And he's, a re, he's in all honesty, a bad quarterback. And like, that doesn't mean that's who he is. That's not my evaluation of what he is moving forward. That's not me saying I'm done with Daniel Jones. It's me saying though, like when he doesn't have the protection, he's not a good quarterback. And I'm in a point right now, Nick, where I'm just curious how they're going to get him protection. Cause yeah, it's yeah. not easy to just land these guys. Like, they could maybe hit a Rashawn Slater. That would be great. They could try to hit another Andrew Thomas. That'd be great. But I haven't started studying this offensive tackle class. And with the exception of these last two classes, 2020 and 2021, there's been some really bad tackle classes over the last decade. What if this is a bad tackle class? And then the interior. They need at least two new interior linemen, in my mind. Maybe three. Like, <laughs> Will Hernandez is an okay player, but I guess they might resign out of desperation. But – they maybe need three there. And those you can maybe get typically uh, a little bit later into the draft, but not necessarily, not if you want to land someone who's going to start right away and give Daniel Jones what we were just discussing here, which is the pass protection he needs, the confidence he needs with his line up front. So it worries me overall. The over It's all the overarching overall picture. Like Daniel Jones is this, he's one thing, he's good without pressure, um, he, or he's good with with, I don't even call it without pressure because he can make throws under pressure. That first third and 14, he hit Tony on. There was pressure bearing down on him. He stood tall, he remained poised, and he dropped the football in a perfectly spaced spot. It's just the confidence factor in his line. And I'm just, it all goes into one thing. Like, where is he going to get that confidence? It requires getting better players there. How are they going to get the better players? They don't have any free agency money to spend to get those players. So it's it leaves you in a really interesting spot when it comes to what the Giants are going to do this offseason at every position, but at the quarterback's position specifically. It's very interesting. It's the most discussed position in the National Football League, rightfully so. And you're right, man. Jones, there were a couple plays in this game where he stood into the pocket and absolutely got annihilated. And that's the kind of poise you want in the pocket. He doesn't you know, fall away from the pressure. He stands tall and he takes those hits and he absorbs pretty significant contact. It's just the process is accelerated when – 
there is more pressure. That makes sense, though. That's not necessarily this huge referendum on Daniel Jones. There's a lot of quarterbacks in the National Football League who can't overcome dismal offensive line play. We saw it in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the National Football League. Obviously, Daniel Jones is nowhere near that level, but a lot of pressure from the defense can force really good quarterbacks to crumble. I'm not going to say Daniel Jones is a really good quarterback, but there are parts of his game that I appreciate. And just to touch on some of the offensive linemen coming out of the draft and names for the big blue banter listeners to monitor Evan Neal tackle out of Alabama. He's probably going to be a top five pick Tyler Lindebaum interior offensive lineman out of Iowa. He should be about a top 15 pick. And then Kenyon green at interior offensive lineman from Texas A&M. He's another one that should definitely be on giants radars. Giants football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick. Dot com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash BANTER. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, those are definitely names to keep an eye on. And obviously, as we get locked and loaded and move forward in this season, Nick and I will be diving deep into the draft like we do every year. Probably have, like we did last year, a podcast a day in the months leading up to draft season. We'll talk prospects. We will break down concepts, all sorts of things relating to the 2022 NFL draft. I'm sorry we have to do this now. I'm sorry, you know, we even have to bring this up, man. It's crazy that we're, what, October 18th, and we're talking about the NFL draft already. After, you know, both Nick and I were not, we're not like completely, but somewhat a little bit fooled by the idea that, you know, this team could potentially win 10 or 11 games. And I don't know if that's something to even consider ourselves fooled by. Like, 
when you go ahead and do what they did and fire off free agent contracts for three of the last four years, I mean, just firing them off, Bradbury, Ryan, Adoree Jackson, you know, fire, fire, fire. What else have they dumped on? I mean, they've uh, Blake Martinez, like you're just loading them. Then Leonard Williams with the big boy contract. I mean, when you do all of those things and and you lose every year, so just constant losing in these years. So you have the fourth pick, you have the sixth pick overall, you have you, you get a 17th pick overall via trade. You trade up to get the 31st pick with Baker. Then you have this year's 11th, and then you trade that back. When you have all those those high high you know high capital assets, these are big time assets that should be vested. They should be turning into some impact players, Pro Bowl, All Pro type guys. In addition to your supplemented free agency, like remember when Jerry Reese supplemented the roster with the 2016 free agency? It was short lived. That's typically how free agency halls are but at least there was those moments of short-lived production out of Jenkins and Damon Harrison and Olivier Vernon there was some short-lived fun there some production what you expect to get when you power through these contracts but right now they're just simply not getting that from the free agent contracts they've signed this offseason and really now the past offseason like one was unfortunate the Blake Martinez injury but Bradbury's not playing up to that level right now Logan Ryan's not playing up to that level right now so that past free agency is starting to look a little bit less amazing than it once did when we you know last year gave a lot of praise to Dave Gettleman for the work he did in free agency well I want to start giving praise to the work being done in the draft because that's the big thing going into next year but we'll talk a lot more about that as it gets closer in relation to this game Obviously, tough call, you know, tough spot for the Giants with the Darius Tony injury, not what we had hoped for. Really looked just as electric on that first drive. The movie made great separation on that quick curl. Filthy, filthy stuff. And then the third big, long third down conversion. Also impressive. Um, what did you make of, I guess, the rest of the receiver court in this game? Because obviously, Sterling Shepard, first game back, very involved. Yeah, Sterling Shepard, very involved. 14 targets, 10 catches for 76 yards, doing a lot of it underneath. Some of it was in garbage time, but that's whatever. I mean, I really like Sterling Shepard's game, but it's obvious at this point that Kadarius Toney has a totally different element than any of the receivers in the Giants receiver room when they're fully healthy. Obviously, Kenny Galladay is the big X, that true number one type of receiver, if you want to classify him as that. But the things that the Giants can do with a healthy Kadarius Toney should be interesting. But obviously, we have to wait and see what's going on with his help as for Dante Pettis, man. I mean, he, he had a couple miscommunications with Daniel Jones. It didn't seem like him and Jones were on the same page. He also had that drop pass. Sterling Shepard had the drop screen that forced the giants to kick a field goal on the first drive as well. I mean, this entire game, Dan was just disappointing to, to say the least. The Rams scored 28 points in the second quarter, man. They just went right down field and punched the giants defense in the mouth and kept doing it and kept taking advantage of the Giants offense every time they made a mistake and they would cash in with a touchdown. They weren't just settling for field goals in that second quarter. And the defense, man, they, the first two drives of the Rams, the defense came up with third down sacks. That's what we've been clamoring about, bro. That's what we wanted, you know, good job. And it was a good start from this defense. Then the bottom just fell out and everything just broke down. And it's similar mistakes, man. It really is. The touchdown to Bobby Trees, man, the two defenders both went with Cooper Cup. Julian Love didn't get over the top of Cooper Cup to get underneath Robert Woods, and that just left Woods wide open for that touchdown. And then the touchdown pass to Daryl Henderson was man coverage, Tay Crowder out on the boundary. And guess what, Dan? A double freaking move, a double move. It wasn't an out and up, but it was a slow-go route, and Tay Crowder doesn't have the athletic ability to keep up with a running back 
in that situation. And offensive coordinators have realized that. So anytime the Giants are out in man coverage now, they're going to attack Tay Crowder. We've seen it this season. We saw it with J.D. McKissick earlier. And it's a problem, bro. It's a big problem. The Giants' lack of, I guess you could say, above average athletic ability at the linebacker position is being exploited every time they try to run man coverage. Yeah, it's an excellent point. We spent a lot of time talking about, you know, the concern long-term with quarterback and offensive line because it's going to be hard to win in this league with this specific quarterback and most quarterbacks. It's not just like, oh, it's not it's not just Jones, but Jones specifically does seem like the quarterback who needs confidence in his offensive line. I think we've had a, a decent enough sample size now to say it, like looking at him yesterday versus looking at him versus the Saints and plenty of other examples. But without that, despite that, we haven't spent any time until you just did an excellent job breaking down this defense because we talked all last week this defense needs to make adjustments and yet it's night and day and i know they have matthew stafford this year and they had Goff last year i get it but it's night and day with what we saw from this defensive performance last year against the rams when the giants played them and the giants offense gave them almost nothing didn't hold the ball at all and yet continued to stop the rams drive after drive after drive until that broken play i don't want to call it a broken play but until the rams use a little bit of tempo and hit cup on that long touchdown last year but Night and day this year. This year, the defense, we've been asking for adjustments. No adjustments made. And like you said, some of it isn't even adjustments that need to be made. Some of it is, this is the roster they've built out over four years with Gettleman. They have no linebackers on the roster. Yes, one was injured. Good job. You need more than one linebacker in the NFL. You cannot have Tay Crowder and Reggie Raglan out there and expect to win football games because things like that will happen. He's not going to have the athleticism or the experience. Not just athleticism. It's the experience in that role carrying that coverage and being in the right spot to make a play. And instead, it's an easy touchdown that you know for sure Sean McVay looked at the film and said, we're getting a matchup against Tay Crowder this week. It's a lock. Like He's watched the film. He saw the Washington game. He knows who Tay Crowder is. He's watched Crowder's film. That was specifically in their game plan for this week. Find a route where we can get him isolated one-on-one and beat him. And he does. He beats him. And you can expect that to happen again and again because they need an upgrade there. And they're not going to get one this offseason. Hopefully, uh, I'm sorry, right now, I mean, hopefully in the offseason they can figure some way to add to that position as well. But because I think it's, by the way, a big problem with this Giants defense to me. Like one of the biggest issues right now is that fact that they have these two guys playing inside linebacker and at that second level, um, in, in addition to what's going on at the safety in the back half, which has not been as good as what we've expected at all. But at this point, like, is there anything Patrick Graham can do can do to adjust, or do you think the personnel is what it is, Nick, and it's, we're just going to consistently see this defense giving up these types of points and plays week after week after week? I mean, I think adjustments can always happen, but it has to kind of stay within the framework of the defense that you have installed, and it just seems like offensive coordinators have really figured out what Patrick Graham has been trying to do, and every time they are in man coverage, which is much more defined, it's you versus me, you have to beat me. The Giants are not the ones defeating their opponents. Like on that play to take Crowder, man, he actually has his hips oriented outside. He doesn't necessarily bite on the slant part of the slow go route, slant go type of route. His hips always stay towards the sideline. He takes, takes one inside foot step to kind of just shade inside a little bit. And then Daryl Henderson just looks like Deshaun Jackson blowing past Tay Crowder and creating like three or four yards of separation. Matt Stafford puts a beautiful touch pass over the top and it just ends up being another touchdown. It seems like the Giants are always losing these one-on-ones, whether it be James Bradbury, who is supposed to be your star cornerback getting burned by C.D. Lamb last week or getting beat by Terry McLaurin in week two. Or Tay Crowder getting beat by J.D. McKissick. Or Tay Crowder getting beat by Daryl Henderson. Or one of these safeties losing to a tight end. The Giants' personnel 
when they are in man coverage, they're not winning. The timing and the rhythm of the offense is better than what the defense is providing uh, in terms of stopping the offense. And then the pressure isn't necessarily there consistently, at least not consistent enough to slow down these quarterbacks from hitting touch passes like this. So it's collective, man. This in this entire defense right now, it's just not regression is an understatement, bro. They they have significantly regressed from where they were last year, and that's what we see right now. They, they upgraded the personnel, and I get Blake Martinez isn't there, but Adoree Jackson is a significant upgrade on paper over Isaac Yidem. But look at what's going on, bro, and it's it's not transpiring into wins or quality football at all. Yeah, you're right, Nick. And even the sacks they got in this game, they were coverage sacks. Like they weren't, you're not seeing some defensive linemen just rip through a move on an offensive lineman and get there within a half a second or within one and a half seconds. And you're not seeing like an edge bend, uh, you know, one of our edges bend the edge, burst, get there, strip sack or get around the edge and hit the quarterback's arm. These were coverage sacks. Um, And that's fine. I mean, that's what they were getting last year. And maybe that's something we can look into at some point, Nick, and decide like, you know, over time, should we consider, uh, you know, this is just a random football thing I'm thinking about, like our coverage sacks a little bit fluky or something like that, or like look into like, you know, how the Giants ended last year with the 12th most sacks in the NFL. And that was a big talking point this offseason, you know, 2020 Giants, 12th most sacks. They started to figure it out. But a, you know, a lot of those sacks just from memory from us doing this week after week and doing the film were coverage sacks last year. And that's fine. That's part of the game. But they might be something that's fluky year to year. I'm not so sure. Um, but yeah, I don't really see anyone on this roster who can win consistently one-on-one. All, and, and again, that, that doesn't mean they can't have good reps one-on-one occasionally, but consistent one-on-one wins, it's not really there right now on this defensive front. Also brings them a problem. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about how the safeties haven't made too many big plays this year. Part of that is also because they don't have too many consistent one-on-one pass rush winners. Um, so it kind of all goes into each other, but it's, you know, at this stage, at this stage of it, the defense is one of the worst in the NFL somehow this year. Like just looking at the points to- totaled every week, looking at the yards that are put up against them every week. And the Giants have the third worst points differential this season, and their offense has actually gotten better, uh, at least from a point standpoint, from where they were. Just to show you, you know, kind of that massive, steep, steady decline the defense has made. Um, and yeah, I don't know, man. It's tough to know where to go from here as far as. Uh, what to do with the defense because there's a lot of work to do and not not many resources that can be put into it at this point um so yeah so yeah nick i would ask you again what would be your thoughts on i guess judge joe judge at this point and where we're at with joe judge so we probably should update that as well you know joe judge said the team has had no quit he made that whole speech about the submarine the submarine and if a submarine's sinking need somebody to bail you out um that was a speech uh, I didn't glean much from it. I don't think it's just pointless coach speak. Uh, hopefully the players gain something from that speech, I guess. Um, but, you know, where are you at with this guy, Joe Judge? Because at this point we loved, I don't want to say we, but some general consensus, I think, among Giants fans was they loved him last year. Um, you know, they fought hard in a lot of games. They won some games down the stretch. Now, as I caveated, none of them really meant anything except for that Seahawks win. Most are against quarterbacks not playing in the NFL anymore. But where are you at now with Joe Judge as we roll through this one in five season where it seems like, you know, there, I, there's, I'm not saying this because I don't think it happened, but there's been back-to-back weeks of speculation the defense quit in the second half or that players, not just the defense, quit in the second half. You know, he does run a tight ship, makes them run laps at practice when things don't go their way. You know, he had a huge stern talking to with the team after last week's fight. 
Where are you at right now with Judge, Nick? I don't hate Judge. I'm not saying Judge needs to be fired or anything like that, but I am saying this is a results-oriented business, and the results are not in a positive way for the New York Giants right now. And if this continues down this road, man, of mediocre football and embarrassing losses, especially at home, there's going to be some serious consideration that the Giants have to go in another direction, especially if that effort isn't there on both sides of the football or just the defense or what have you. I'm not 100% certain if the effort died, I guess you could say, in the third and fourth quarter against the Rams. There were a couple plays where I think it could seriously be in question, the Cooper Cup second touchdown on the yep. leak play action. It does seem like the entire right side of the defense was absolutely fooled by what the Rams were doing and cup was all alone. And you see some defenders sprinting in that direction, but from a mental standpoint, they were just manipulated like crazy by what the Rams were doing offensively. But I think it's fair to question the effort when your defense is surrendering 38 points on defense. I think it's a fair question. And you know, this is a week to week evaluation for me, Dan. I don't, I would like to get your thoughts on it. It's a week to week evaluation on Judge. It's a week to week evaluation on Daniel Jones and their future with this team. I don't think anything's for certain. I don't think anything's absolute. It's a very, very fluid situation right now. And I definitely don't feel as confident in Joe Judge as I did at the beginning of the season right now, which is to be obvious. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's fair to do this thing week to week, too. Um, and, you know, I think we were obviously approaching this from different starting points, Nick, because I know you had a lot more confidence in Judge before the season than I did. I liked him before the season, but mostly because of the things he said, less because of the things he had done. I didn't like a lot of his fourth down decision making in his rookie year, not just this year. I mean, this year he has, what was it, two of the the most, uh, according to the surrender index, two of the most cowardly fourth down decisions since they started charting the data to the two. He had the most, I think, and the third most. So, I mean, that, but that problem was there last year as well. Last year, the, the good stuff was, or at least for me, the stuff I liked was I did think the team played hard in the second half of the season. They had a really easy draw. They faced a lot of crappy backup quarterbacks that they squeaked out wins by, but I still thought they fought hard, played hard, and I liked his discipline. I liked some of the things he did reteaching how the defensive backs uh, played coverage, and it was working. You saw tangible results there. I, in general, am always going to be more on board with the coach who does the head coach role and doesn't coordinate either side of the ball. I hate the ones who coordinate either side of the ball. I think that always leads to problems. And you should, if you're one of those coaches, just give up the play calling duties because you're in a tough spot. But for now, it seems to me like Joe Judge is more just talk than walk. And it seems like that sample size is growing larger and larger day by day. I worry things can get worse. They're one in five right now. And I worry that these players are not going to want to continue hard, hard, you know, his hard-nosed style of coaching, I guess I would say, or his hard-nosed style of discipline and conditioning and all things of that nature, if they're 1-8, you know, or if they're 1-10. Like, I'm not so sure you're going to start to see some of the guys in the locker room say, we don't want to do this behind the scenes, not to judge. And then that starts to build within the locker room. You start to get a little bit of a feel for, I don't know, disarray in the locker room, which is something we definitely don't want. We had that already with the McAdoo situation, and it was a disaster. They had to revamp their roster. They were set back. You know, they had to trade players, get rid of players. Beckham had to go. That He wasn't working anymore from a, you know, culture standpoint, quote-unquote culture standpoint. And same thing goes for, you know, Landon Collins, who had to go. That one I thought was just ultimately a good move just based on what the player was putting on film. And good job, Dave Gettleman, there, of course. Um 
and the whole Giants organization for recognizing not to pay him that kind of money. But you don't want to get yourself in a spot where a locker room starts to have disarray. There starts to be people, uh, you know, questioning if this is the right coach within the locker room, because then you have to start to do those things like trade these guys for pennies on the dollar, or let them walk in free agency, things of that nature. So we'll see what happens there, Nick. Um, it's definitely week to week for me as well. I I definitely feel more confident in giving Daniel Jones another year than I do judge, if that makes any sense. Um, but let's talk about things that are less week to week. Yes. Things that are less week to week are Dave Gettleman. There's no week to week there. Only, you know, I, I'm sure there are some out there, but it's hard to defend him at this point. Uh, quite obviously, I would say, for anyone who follows the team as closely as anyone who listens to this podcast or as we do. And he's gone at the end of this year. I think that's a guarantee at this point. The Giants are one and five. They might squeak out some wins to get to five, I guess. But even at five and 12, um, or six and eleven, Mara said, "You know, we want progress." Mara allowed a free agent spending spree. Mara's given him countless, you know, top ten picks. So he's not going to look at five and eleven. I don't think, or I'm sorry, five and twelve or six and eleven, Nick, and say this was progress. This was good. Come back, Dave. So Dave's gone. But the question becomes, Nick, should Dave be gone now instead of waiting for Dave to be gone later? Why would that matter? Well, one, the trade deadline's coming up. We've already seen in one loss season. Dave traded a thir early third-round pick and ended up being a top 65 pick for an impending free agent player in Leonard Williams. We've also seen, and, and this is just Dave. I mean, Dave the whole time here has been about fixing holes, you know, see a hole, fix a hole, see a hole, fix a hole, see a hole, fix a hole. Make the roster better for today. Make the roster better for today, right now. Now's not a time, really, where you want to be making the roster better for today, though. When you're one in five and out of it, you don't really want to be making the roster better for today. You want to be making the roster better for tomorrow. So that's one thing. And the other thing would be to get a head start and a jump on hiring your next GM. Because if you fire your GM first, if you're the first team to do it, you have to, you're, you're the first team that gets to start interviewing these candidates. You can get an early jump on who's the best out there and make your mark on them in your meeting. Be like, this is why you want to come to the Giants. We have these two first-round picks. Andrew Thomas playing good football. Daniel Jones playing better football. Whatever it may be, you make your case early there. So what would be your thoughts on that? Do you think the Giants should move on from Dave Gettleman sooner rather than later? Or do you think they just let him, uh, should let him kind of just sit there, you know, play the year out and then decide in the offseason? I don't have a strong opinion on if he should be fired right now. I know everybody wants him to be fired at the moment. I think the Giants are going to do a very giant thing and they're going to allow him to retire and they're going to hopefully pursue a general manager outside of the organization. But I think Kevin Abrams has also been groomed to be the general manager in waiting. So that should be a situation to monitor. But I don't strongly feel that he has to be let go right now at this moment. I, I don't really think the Giants are going to do that. But at the same time, you know John Mara is incredibly upset right now. You know he's you know throwing trash cans at the uh, in the press box to the ground. He, he sees what's going on in these home games, man. The Denver Broncos, the Atlanta Falcons, two winnable games, I guess you could say, both down the toilet. Now this absolute just embarrassment. Two weeks in a row now they've been embarrassed. They've been outscored, what, 82 to 31 in the two weeks. Some of those points are just garbage points. Didn't even matter. They have been uncompetitive. So I think anything, I guess, could be possible. It just doesn't seem like necessarily a giant thing to do. What's your opinion on it? I'm guessing, do you do you believe the Giants should just can Gettleman right now, promote Abrams, have him be the interim general manager? Because if that does happen, I can see that making some sense. I just don't know if it would transpire. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not on some 
you know, Giants Twitter rampage or whatever, or Giants, whatever it may be. And got to fire him now. Got to fire him now. Get him out. Get him out. Get him out now. I don't see like there's I don't feel like there's too much to gain from this, but there's enough to gain from it for me to think that he should be removed from his position ASAP. The first thing is make sure he doesn't have a chance to have any say over the trade deadline. That's not a spot we want to be in. We don't we need to just eliminate the possibility of Dave trading trading for help now and trading away potential picks again, like he has in the past, or even just a player that we want to build a roster around or that he misevaluated from his own roster or a player a for a player that he's misevaluated from another roster, things that he's done. I, there's a large sample size him, of him doing over the last four years. So for the mere simple fact of not having him oversee this trade deadline, I think it's in the Giants' best nature. And then the second thing would just be, yeah, to get that early start on finding a new GM. You can name Kevin Abrams the interim GM, but then you start looking outside the organization. You can start to get interviews in. You can start to make connections. You can start to talk around the league about young executives who have been really impressive for their teams and start to look into their track record and their background. So to me, it's a it's a it's a definite yes, it, but it's not like I'm slamming the table. It has to be done this minute, like that type of thing. There's no outrage behind it. It just seems like simply the best move for them. Even if they're not gaining that much, they're gaining enough to the point where it should be done. There's no real reason to keep him here anymore, unless you think that they can turn it around, go eleven and five or twelve and five, whatever it may be, or whatever it would be. Uh, I mean, at this point, what do they have to win? <laughs> um, can they win what they could probably lose three more games and maybe make the playoffs. But regardless of all those hypotheticals, it's not happening. You see the product on the field, even before the injuries, they couldn't beat Taylor Heineke. They couldn't beat uh, this version of Matt Ryan. They couldn't even be Teddy Bridgewater on a Broncos team. that doesn't even look that good anymore. The Broncos haven't looked good in weeks. They look great against the giants. The giants were out of that game in the fourth quarter. They were down multiple scores. So, you know, this is a bad roster. This is the job he's done. Clearly. It's over for him in my mind. And so I just don't see any point anymore holding on to him. So, Dan, I wanted to, before we get out of here, bring up Matt Parrott, man. Oof, talk about a, a lot of confidence that we rightfully had in, in his ability to take the job of Nate Solder. But he looked really bad on Sunday. And those same issues that were apparent last season cropped up again. I just... If Matt Parrott doesn't hit, which it looks like that could be uh, something that actually happens where he's just, you know, not an NFL caliber tackle, who's going to play tackle for this team next year? It's a great question, Nick. And it sucks because, you know, we texted right after that first snap when he came in and just you saw because the way he got beat on that on that play, it's just something we've seen from watching all this film over and over. It's the same way he got beat a lot last year. And I don't know if that's something that you can just snap your fingers and say, all right, that's improved. That's fixed. That's over with. Like Andrew Thomas is what he was able to correct, like his oversetting last year, his big problem oversetting. That seems like a lot easier to correct than what we're seeing from Barrett. And right now, like I'm not willing to give up on him yet as a prospect to me. Like the he's like the perfect example of like the real good teams would draft him at pick 99 and he'd never play for like at least the first two years. They wouldn't need him to play. Like they'd just be developing him and developing him and developing. Now that's not as easy in today's NFL, by the way, because you don't have like as many um, padded practices. You don't really have any types of game type situations where you can have someone practice, uh, you know, improve on their skill set, really. But he's clearly not ready to start and be a good offensive tackle at this time. That may happen down the line, may not, whatever. But it's also potentially, you know, like you said, Nick, it's fair to say he may not be ready to be a starting caliber tackle you can count on in 2022. And so then what, like you said, what do they do at tackle? Well, 
I'd like to say you have all your options open looking to the trade or the free agent market, but the Giants do not have all their options open. They don't have salary cap space to spend in free agency next year. It's going to be a quiet free agency. They may resign some of their own for cheap deals, but they will not be signing some big name offensive tackle, offensive guard, whatever it may be. They will not be trading for Trent Williams like the 49ers did two years ago, giving up a three and a five, but also in this, in the process, re-signing Williams to a big deal and taking on that cap space hit. They will not be having that option. So it will be the draft. Um, they're going to have to, hopefully there's another Rashawn Slater. I mean, Rashawn Slater hit the ground running. He's playing great right now. Andrew Thomas took him some games, but he's been playing great this year. Tristan Wirfs hit the ground running, been playing great this year and last year. So, They'll have to hope to get lucky, I guess, in the draft and hit on a immediate starting tackle. I think that's I don't know how else to say it. I don't know what other options they have. Exactly. And that and that's the point of why I'm bringing it up, too, because the Giants put an emphasis, Dave Gettleman specifically, on upgrading this offensive line. And here we are. And we're still looking for some sort of answer on the right side at tackle. And then you look across the offensive line just in general, and there's not a lot of certainty there, man. There's just not a lot of certainty. You have Andrew Thomas, the Nick Gates injury. He was a certainty. That is incredibly unfortunate. But you and I going into this season, Dan, our biggest concern with the guards, man, Will Hernandez, his contract is up at the end of the year. He may not be back, and he's a replacement-level player to begin with. Shane Lemieux, he was a replacement-level player to begin with as well. Unfortunately, he's injured, and now you have guys like Billy Price, who was a free agent at the end of the year, and Ben Bredesen. It's just you're probably going to need to just pour assets into this position. Whoever the new general manager is is going to have to do that, and Daniel Jones is going to be – in this weird state where, oh, geez, are the Giants going to pick up his fifth-year option? Is he going to be the Mitch Trubisky lame duck, just play next year out and then be a free agent? There's just so many questions heading into next season, and we're still not even – we're not even done with six weeks yet in the NFL. We're having to answer and ask these questions. It sucks, man. It's just a terrible state for the New York Giants right now. Yeah, it really is, and we've been in this spot way too many times at this point asking these same questions. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? You know, What's going to happen in the draft? What's going to happen in free agency? next off season and we've had it in week five or six in every year of this dave gettleman regime um so it's a tough spot to be in uh, we we know the problem at this point i guess there are some still defending gettleman or some who get bothered i guess by my me, me even bringing up gettleman if you get bothered by it i don't know what to tell you this podcast isn't just about x's and o's it's about discussing the state of the team and if somebody who's constructing the team has done this poor of a job you may not think it's that poor of a job. That's fine. That's your opinion. You're allowed to have it. But I'm not going to just change off it to make people feel better. The facts are the facts. Even if you boil it just down to the simplicity of him saying, my original goal is to build this team an offensive line, which he obviously has done a horrifically poor job of doing, and to stop the run uh, run the ball and and, pat, and rush the passer. All three things he's not doing well either. Even if you just boil it down to those four simple things, the case is clear. Um, so, no, I won't just back down and just pretend to – like this guy or say, you know, take it easy on him. Um, and it is what it is, though. Like, I don't want to be here in this spot. And Nick doesn't want to either. We don't want to be talking about the draft in week six, man. We wanted an 11-win season. We thought it was possible. We really did. At moments this year, man, on offense, they look good. The defense, I don't know what's happening there. It seems like that's just falling off the rails. But it's a bad football team, and hopefully it can get better soon. We'll try to figure out ways to do it when we talk off season. We're obviously going to be going through the rest of the season as well. We're going to do the 
all 22 breakdowns because there's still players that need to be talked about and discussed about on film. Andrew Thomas, Daniel Jones, Matt Parrott still needs to be discussed on film. We need to figure out if maybe he can make massive strides. Maybe we can get lucky in this last half of the season and Parrott can make massive strides and we can feel like good. Like, okay, we got Thomas and Parrott. You know, we need to see if there's a potential possibility that a linebacker can step up and be part of the future there because Blake Martinez coming off a major injury, an older player as well, that's not an, they need more at inside linebacker for sure. And we need to hopefully see if McKinney can take a big step because Peppers impending free agent, uh, Logan Ryan to me, I never liked them resigning him at not, and he's on the wrong side of 30. He's an okay player, but I don't think he's evolving into some kind of playmaker for them. And then Adoree Jackson has got to, you know, he's got to be a bigger impact player, obviously as well for this team, given what they just invested in him. It's only year one of his, of his free agent deal. So, They've got a lot of cap space tied there over the next few years. So still a lot to talk about with this football team. Um, you know, it's the Giants. <laughs> you guys, you guys been with us this long. You know, you, you, at least by now you're, you're numb, to, a little numb to it, I would assume. Cause we're, cause we're certainly numb, more numb to it. I'm certainly more numb to it than I've ever been. How about you, Nick? Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm upset by the state of it. I, I acknowledge that this is just how the Giants have been for so long. I also know it can change. It just seems like it's not going to man, dude, it, it, it's been ugly. It, it, it's been ugly since I started covering this team. Yeah, it does suck for you, Nick. You jumped in at like the, I at least got the lucky. I got lucky to, and I consider it lucky quote unquote to start covering this team in 2016. And that was fun, man. Like they weren't, they were an ugly team that year. Like my brother always says it. Like he says that was the fakest 11 win team he's ever watched. And he's not wrong. Like they had a game against the Browns where they like needed the fourth quarter and a JPP tipped, pick I think it was or a strip sack fumble return for a touchdown one of the two to just beat like the Browns who were like 0 and 11 at the time <laughs> like every win they had that year there's a Lions game they won by three every win was gross that year they still found a way to win 11 games and it just showed like the fun the excitement the optimism the togetherness that it brought Giants Twitter and the Giants community to. like right now it's so divided on Giants Twitter which I don't really know why to be honest because at this point it seems pretty clear like this management is not doing a good job to me, but there is some divide here because some people think people are too negative, blah, blah, blah. But it's hard to not be negative right now. But when it was all going good and they had 11 wins, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I hope you get a chance next soon to cover a winning season because everything is so much better when that happens. Just every little thing is so much better. Hopefully soon, man. Hopefully. All right, everyone, that's all we have for today on the Reaction Podcast. Thank you for bearing with us. I was uh, unable to make the show last night. We will be back this week with the All-22 Podcast and maybe have another uh, show where we have a guest on from Giants' upcoming opponent. We will see if all that is in play later in the week. But otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.